Thrive Suite Productions presents A Perception Veil. It is a shadowy realm, that space between the known and the unknown. A place where the intangible becomes tangible, where the enigma has a solution. To those of us who consider ourselves normal, unable, or unwilling to venture beyond what we can see and feel, this is an area that can cause fear and trepidation. But there are a few among us who are extraordinary, who have the ability to see a thousand unseen tomorrows. Those who are not only able, but also willing to throw open that shadowy curtain and provide a conduit to that other realm. This is a story about one of those amazing people. To make sure I cover this story right, I guess I have to go back a ways. In May 2015, my cousin disappeared, believed by some to be dead because the last person to see her was her ex-boyfriend, Frank. Burley, Idaho is a small town of about 10,000 people in the southern part of the state that sits on the banks of the Snake River. We're about 160 miles southeast of Boise. Rumors went wild back then about some sort of fight between my cousin Caitlin and Frank, her ex-boyfriend, who found out that Caitlin was newly engaged to this other guy named Wayne. I didn't know much about Wayne, except nearly everyone felt a little scared when he was around. I know it might sound like some love triangle gone wrong, but the story is complicated, as I guess all love triangles are, I suppose. Frank and Caitlin had a baby together, but the little girl was born premature and had a lot of medical issues. The doctors did what they could for the baby, but she ended up dying after only four months. The death of the baby girl put a lot of strain on the relationship, and Frank and Caitlin split up. They remained good friends after the breakup, though. Wayne didn't really like that my cousin stayed so close to her ex-boyfriend. On May 16, 2015, Caitlin went missing, and Frank, the ex-boyfriend, was the one to report her disappearance. The police started looking for her, scoping the area, asking family members and friends multitudes of questions over a long period of time, but nothing ever seemed to come of it. It seemed like she had simply vanished. A private investigator was called in, and he was able to find some stuff belonging to Caitlin hidden away in some bushes near the river, just a few miles outside of town. But still, Caitlin was not found. We went from hoping that she would be found alive to fearing the worst. Nothing else came from the case, and after a few months of an exhaustive investigation, it went cold. Wayne, the fiancé, with a grudge against Frank, ended up going to prison for drugs. Frank, the ex-boyfriend, really suffered mentally with the vanishing of Caitlin and eventually admitted himself into a mental institution overcome with grief and depression. Caitlin's immediate family held vigils for months, praying for answers and hoping for any information that would lead us to her. I tried my best to help keep hope alive, but as months turned into years, with no new information coming forward, everyone started to drift. It became hard for everyone to 
so much as look at anything that reminded us of Caitlin, some even thinking we could see her trying to get our attention, but we brushed it off as just missing her. It wasn't until 2017, more than two years after Caitlin's disappearance, when a new person came into all of our lives and new information was shed on the case. In early November 2017, news broke about a construction crew in the next county finding skeletal remains at a construction site hidden in a ditch. I didn't think much of it at first until a couple of days later. When the weather's nice, I like to head out to the river to either you know, hike, fish, or do nothing at all, just decompress. This particular day seemed just like normal at first, until I happened to pass by the spot where Caitlin's belongings were found and ran into this strange man taking photos of the river. He was a big dude, about uh, six seven. He wore a long black trench coat and a black cowboy hat that covered his shaven head. His face showed he was looking for something in the water. Initially, I thought it was just a strangely dressed dude taking nature pictures, but I got this feeling that he had answers to questions I had. It sounds crazy, I know, but that feeling was strong enough to make me approach him and start up a conversation. Hey, uh, catching anything good? He looked at me like I was somebody texting on their phone in a movie theater. I walked a little closer to him as he took another photo of the river, finally getting an answer from him once I stood next to him. Not really. Well, what are you looking for? You don't really look like you're from around here. I'm not. I can't go into too many details. But I'm currently in the middle of an investigation. And I was told to look around here to retrace a few things others left off. So, uh, what are, what are you, uh, like a, you like a private investigator or something? Yeah, something like that. He looked directly at me, right into my eyes, and as if he was trying to scan my mind for information. I started to feel a little nervous, but I tried to keep my cool. Is there something you might be able to tell me? I didn't want to say anything about Caitlin, but huh, it was like I was psychically compelled to spill it. So I told him. Well, um... You see, my friend disappeared. And this area was where they found some of her stuff. He nodded his head, and he turned off his camera. I see. Did she happen to have blonde hair, bluish green eyes, about five foot four inches? bit of a smoker. He must have taken the look in my eyes as a sign of confirmation. One last question. Did she happen to have a tattoo of the name Ruby on her right arm? Ruby was the name of Caitlin's baby girl. I stumbled to find the words as I tried to explain the situation more to this large man. Our conversation covered how long I'd known the family, what I and others thought happened the night she disappeared, things of that nature. When it all finally came to an end, he took a moment to process the information before getting ready to leave. 
As he walked past me, he stopped just next to me, facing the opposite direction I was, and whispered, If you care about the family like you say you do, take my advice and stick around for them. I can't reveal much, but I am going to tell you that there has been a new development in the case. You all are about to get some closure. Give it about three weeks. I froze when he said that. I remembered something Caitlin's mother, my aunt, had told me the day before. Our grandma passed away after Caitlin went missing, and her final words were that she promised to help bring Caitlin home. I was never one to believe in the supernatural, but even I had to admit this was getting weird. I wanted to ask more questions, but found myself continuing to fumble over my words. I couldn't even ask the guy what his name was. I tried my best to brush everything off as just a random meeting with some crazy person, but the large man ended up telling the truth. Those skeletal remains found in the next county? Well, it turns out it was just the skull, but when the test results came back, it was Caitlin. My heart dropped. How did this guy know that? I didn't tell anyone about my encounter with the strange guy until the test results came back, confirming that the remains found were indeed that of Caitlin. The people that I told about my encounter were in disbelief. Some of my younger cousins, who spend too much time on conspiracy theory websites, thought he was a member of the Men in Black. The feds were brought in to help with the investigation, but what would aliens have to do with it? We all asked around about this guy, and through what seemed like an endless series of I-know-a-guy-who-knows-a-guy rumors, it felt like something out of a movie. Some people said he helped them escape abusive relationships. Some said he gave away generous donations to people in need. Others swore he could read minds and somehow tell the future. A few even said he was an exorcist. It was like he was some meta-human. I don't know for sure, but after the police told Caitlin's parents about her skull being found, we had a lot of questions to ask him. And then things started to get really weird. When we were kids, Caitlin and I used to pass notes to each other when we were feeling down to cheer each other up. So it was strange that a few days after Caitlin's remains were identified, I came home to find a note folded up the way Caitlin used to fold hers just sitting on a table in my living room. I opened it up and nearly cried as I read the words. Help me. Find Dakota Franson. It was Caitlin's handwriting. I searched the name online and the first picture I saw was the man I encountered a few weeks before at the river. A link to his website helped me find a way to contact him to set something up. We had to know what he knew about the case. Why, why would, why would he even bother with helping someone he never met before? I sent him an email practically begging him to come back and talk to us. Caitlin's parents were skeptical, thinking it was some guy that was trying to get his hands on the $5,000 reward that was posted when this all began for information. I could understand why they would feel like that, but I had to go with my gut and take the chance to meet him. It wasn't long before I got a reply, and 
as it would turn out, he was already aware of the concerns. The email I got back read, Jason, thank you for reaching out to me. Yes, in a way, I have been investigating Caitlin's disappearance ever since the skull turned up. I want you to know that I have no interest in the money. If the family feels so compelled, tell them to pass the money on to any charity they so desire. Let's make some good come out of this unfortunate event. I'm not going to lie. Because of my methods, I cannot take this information to the authorities. Even though I have close ties with a few of the investigators on the case who are already aware of the situation. If you are still wanting answers, I can help you all speak to Caitlin directly. It will all make sense soon. Nearly everyone I shared that email with was in disbelief. Could this guy be for real? An appointment was set a couple of days later for him to prove himself. I asked him if we needed to bring anything to help him. He just asked that the four people closest to Caitlin be in attendance and that they bring something connected to her. Stuff of hers that we kept, photos, uh, or gifts she gave us were examples that he gave. He'd take care of everything else. So Frank, Caitlin's mother and father, and I all volunteered each of us bringing small gifts that reminded us of her. It felt a little overwhelming even considering this, but all of us were eager to hear from Caitlin again. He arrived with supplies for what he called a modernized seance, which apparently called for some candles, a lighter with weird engravings on it, pieces of paper with strange symbols drawn on them, and a small handheld radio. Caitlin's mother asked how everything was going to work, to which... Dakota explained that all of the personal items were to help focus everyone's attention on Caitlin's unique energy. I was confused by what that meant since it honestly felt like most people who used those terms didn't actually know what they were talking about. So I asked Dakota if he could maybe clear some things up. I understand your concern. I honestly thought the same thing when I first got started. But in reality, This type of thing isn't much different than using two-way radios. Every soul acts like a frequency or channel, if you will. If you want to talk to someone on these radios, you want to make sure everyone is tuned into the right channel, right? The same basic idea applies to channeling spirits or even talking to someone living through telepathy. Technically, all you need is the person's name and a rough idea of what they look like to pull it off. But having items that belonged to the person and the stuff you typically see in seances can help strengthen the connection. So, what's the radio for? Frank finally asked. So you all can hear her voice, Dakota answered. And maybe Ruby as well. Everyone in the room except for Dakota immediately broke down into tears. He tried his best to console everyone and waited until the room settled before continuing on. If you are ready, we can begin the preparations. Let's do it. Following Dakota's instructions, we set up a table in the middle of the room, each of us placing a candle in a star formation in front of us on top of the pieces of paper with the strange symbols. Dakota turned on the little radio and set it in the middle of the star, 
as it only played static. I need you all to simply focus on seeing Caitlin appear in front of us. We were instructed. Simply think of the happiest memories you have of her. Any little thing you remember will help. There is another phase to this process we will complete once we are done talking to her. What are you going to do? Caitlin's dad asked. I'm going to recite a bit of a spell to bring her to us. You will know when she's here, when the room starts to get colder. Dakota began talking as he passed the lighter around the circle of candles, pausing as each candle was lit. I couldn't make out the words he was saying until the end when he said aloud, Come and speak to free yourself from earthly bounds. Moments passed and nothing happened, until a woman's voice started to come through the radio, saying, She's coming. Suddenly, the temperature in the room dropped about 15 degrees. The room filled with static, making all of us uneasy. All of our attentions focused on the radio as the breaks in the static made it sound like someone was trying to come through. Mom? Daddy? Frankie? Jay? I miss you guys. There was no mistaking it. Caitlin was with us once again. We all took turns asking her questions going from what happened that night to asking about what the afterlife was like. She was only able to speak sentence fragments through the radio. But Dakota was able to help fill in the rest. The both of them were able to tell us everything that happened. Despite what some people assume, the reason for the fight between Frank and Caitlin was because he was trying to warn her about Wayne, but she just wouldn't listen. Later on, when she was with Wayne, they got into an argument that escalated to a drug-fueled fistfight, and Wayne hit her hard enough to knock her out. Caitlin said she wasn't sure what happened next, but the next thing she knew, she was by the river watching pieces of her own body be swept away. She was trying to reach out to her family, but somehow the conditions around how she died and where her body was left made it difficult for her to do anything, even search out others in her condition. When her skull resurfaced, she was able to speak out to Dakota and show him a vision of what she saw. And that was what led him to the river where he and I met. Everyone was too overwhelmed to ask anything else. But something Caitlin said caught all of our attention. Where's Grandma? She asked. Caitlin, she's already moved on. It was the only way she was able to help find you. Dakota answered. I want to see her. And Ruby. You will get to see them both very soon. I can promise you that. Everyone focused on Dakota, wondering what he meant. 
Apparently, the seance Dakota had in mind had a second part that would help Caitlin cross over to heaven. Dakota had everyone say their goodbyes before saying, I call upon Michael, the archangel, guider of souls to the forever life. We have in our presence a spirit who is in need of your aid to move on to her final resting place, so she may be healed of her wounds and reunited with those she misses most. Take her upon your divine wing, so all may be healed. And the temperature in the room started to get warmer. Everyone was feeling this warm, welcoming energy just fill the room, helping us all feel at peace. And then the candles suddenly all blew out in an instant. I see them, Caitlin said through the radio. Go, Caitlin. Please. Goodbye. I love you. We love you too. But it's time for you to go. And soon the energy in the room returned to as it was on any normal day. Dakota confirmed that this was because she had moved on and was no longer bound to this earth, but could visit once we were all ready. Somehow, that day gave us all the closure that we needed. And still to this day, all these years after she vanished, the rest of Caitlin's body has never been recovered. Because of that fact alone, her case is still open. As for Wayne, he is still serving time for drugs and he hasn't exactly been a model prisoner. His sentence was extended due to prison fights that he started. Because of Dakota, we were able to move on ourselves. Frank was even able to overcome his depression and find someone new, but I think it had more to do with the conversation he had with Dakota just after the seance was over. Frank had asked Dakota why he was trying to help us, and as it turned out, it was because he went through something similar. He told his story to everyone in the room, and it is something that I could never forget. When I was 19 years old, I got engaged to this girl from D.C. She was absolutely beautiful, way out of my league, to where a part of me still questions why she said yes at all. When we met, she was getting out of an abusive relationship with this guy who used to beat her whenever he got high in order to try to save the baby she was about two months pregnant with. It was a bit of a long-distance relationship, but we managed to make it work. Four months into the relationship, when she came to visit me for Valentine's Day, I proposed, probably getting myself into a deeper situation than I could handle, but I honestly didn't care. I felt like she was the one, and we had started to come up with a plan to build our own family, then go into careers that would allow us to help others. In fact, she was wanting to go into the FBI. But somehow, when she got home, her ex found out about us. He got drunk and high off of God knows what, broke into her place and killed her. She apparently put up a fight, but by the time the cops got there, it was too late. She and her baby girl were gone. The guy was later shot dead by police. 
to honor her memory and that of a few other forces in my life, I try to help people avoid that heartache. And before you ask, that woman who spoke through the radio just before Caitlin did, was her. My fiancé managed to cross over, but she still occasionally comes around to help me out. And that was his story. I haven't spoken to him since that day. But I have heard rumors that he's still very much active. Hey, this is Steve White, the host and producer of The Perception Veil. That amazing guy in this story exists and continues to help those in need. You can check out his website when you have a chance. It's dakotafranzen.com. F-R-A-N-D-S-E-N.com. I'll put a link in the show notes, too. He is indeed the specialist of the strange and has many amazing stories to tell himself. And hey, do you have a strange, paranormal, supernatural story you would like to tell? Great. Send me an email to theperceptionveil at gmail.com and let's talk about it. Also, if you like the podcast, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you would like to support it in another way, you can buy me a coffee. There's a link in the show notes. Be well, and I will see you on the other side of the veil soon. This has been a Thrive Suite production, copyright 2024, all rights reserved.